Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Matthew Stainsby, manager of the Elite Rated Close Managed Income Fund. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Um, as the name suggests, that the principal role of this fund is to deliver a sustainable income for investors. With this in mind, how are you managing the threat of, sort of widespread dividend cuts in your portfolio at the moment? Okay, so it's probably first it's worth starting off saying, uh, talking about the fund and the way it's made up. And, and what we've designed it to be is, is a very generalized strategy that has diversified and diversified sources of income. Um, so dividends would only be one of those sources of income. So just to give you an idea of what, what we're talking about here, at the moment, we've got about 30% of, uh, sorry, 40% of our fund sits in equity. Uh, and that's yielding about just over 4.5% at the moment. We've got about 42% in fixed income. That's yielding about 3.3%. And then we've got about 12% in our alternatives bucket. Uh, and that's yielding about 3.8%. So we've, we've tried to sort of spread that across so that hopefully if one area doesn't work, the other areas will kick in. This gives us a portfolio yield of about 3.7. Um, so the dividend cuts element will impact, obviously that will impact the equity part of this portfolio. Um, but really, we think it's it's mainly concentrated in Europe and in, in particular the UK. So again, even within our equity portion, it's the uh, it's mainly the UK and Europe that's going to possibly suffer some dividend cuts. And we've run a number of sort of scenarios. We don't really know the cuts at the moment. It's it's about thirty percent of, of dividend cuts. We don't know where that'll end up. Uh, and some of those cuts actually are not really cuts at all. They're actually just a deferral, which may come back later in the year as part of the next next dividend. Um, so we think that even with some of those cuts factored in, uh, we're still going to be able to generate an income of about three to three and a half percent. So that, that was my first point. The second point really is obviously we're employing active fund managers to, to manage the money for us, uh, and we would hope that their experience is better. It's better than what the average you would get from an index. Um, so you know the fund managers are going to be out there looking for things like do they think the dividends are sustainable, um, and of course. We've engaged all the fund managers that we, that we have within the portfolio. So we've met with all of the managers in the UK, for example. So that's four four managers within that. Um, it's interesting talking to those guys because they're, they're generally using this as a bit of an opportunity. So they're obviously looking and going, okay, do we think that the pandemic has changed the workings? Do we think that some of these companies that we used to think were has sustainable dividends is not? And they're obviously making changes to the portfolio. But they're also using it as a bit of an opportunity. So there'll be a number of stocks that they've looked at before and thought, yeah, I quite like the company, I like what they do, but actually the price of it has meant that the yield is just doesn't really work for our portfolio. So what they've used is, you know, falls in prices as an opportunity to essentially uprate their portfolio, buy some of the stuff they'd like to buy before but previously couldn't. So that's, that's really how we're trying to deal with it. We obviously, we say, all the time monitoring, um, making sure that the fund managers are still doing what we thought. Uh, but hopefully, the robustness of the portfolio protects the income. And you mentioned the three buckets there, equities, fixed income, and also alternatives. Uh, I want to take one of them each in turn. So I'll start with equities. You mentioned um, where you feel the cuts are coming from. Uh, I noticed you've got JP Morgan US equity income in your top 10. Is that because US dividend payments are perhaps more secure than other countries at the moment? Uh, that's kind of a yes and a no answer. Um, I mean, yes, we do think that the dividends are safer in the, in the US. Um, basically, the, the market is, is certainly more diverse than the UK market, so it hasn't got the very large weightings to the financials and, and kind of the energy stocks. Um, 
also within the U- within the US, they uh, they tend to use dividend buybacks. So buybacks rather than dividends. Um, so there's less pressure on the dividends. They have a lower dividends, lower starting dividend, uh, and it's also l- less pressure from the regulators. So in the UK and, and Europe, what you're getting is pressure from the regulators to suspend dividends while they uh, while they furloughed various people. Um, but that's not really what's driving the JP Morgan to be a top ten holding. Um, so again, if we sort of step back to, to to how we think about the portfolio, we essentially set the asset allocation. We set the asset allocation as a team, um, and as I said, even though the US has a, as a lower dividend, a lower income than other areas, we do still want that diversification. So we are happy to include the US. Uh, it gives us a different stream. It actually gives us an area of growth that we possibly can't get in other areas. Um, and that really sets the country weights. And then within that, we, we do try to mix and match styles. So, for example, within the US, we've got two funds. Uh, the JP Morgan fund is, is slightly bigger than the other fund, um, but essentially they're two different styles. The JP Morgan fund run by a very experienced manager, Claire Hart. She's been managing the fund for over 10 years. Very good track record. Delivers solid, safe income, has done over the past. Um, and so, again, really it's finding managers that fit the portfolio and then the weights are really set by the asset allocation. Um, moving on to bonds, I mean, we've heard a lot of talk about how it's a once in a decade or once a generation opportunity in the bond market. Are there any areas of the market that you're tapping into for income? You, you mentioned 42% is the holding at the moment. Where are you finding the opportunities in that such a diverse market? Yeah, so, so, so maybe as, as, you know, as we move through the, the, the whole process, we'll talk maybe about what we've done in, in, in the sh- through the pandemic, but essentially in the in the very short term, we've been, we've actually been adding to two areas, and the first one is is corporate bonds. Um, so essentially, investment grade spreads have blown out to levels that were very similar to the financial crisis, mm-hmm. which represents a great great opportunity to get back in. Uh, and with investment grade, you're, you're far less likely to have to worry about defaults and i.e. not getting your payments. Um, so we've added to the Artemis corporate bond fund. Uh, so that's an interesting fund, right? It did, the fund manager Steve Snowden. We've been we've known him for years. We've invested with him through his previous companies, and he actually lifted out a team from Cames and joined Artemis last year. Um, we helped them seed that fund uh, at back end of last year, and actually we've been topping up. We topped that one up recently, and given given say that the wides the, the spreads in the in the corporate bond market have gone to. Um, one of the other elements that's interesting is it's a relatively small fund. Uh, partly because it's new, but uh, but designed to be a relatively small fund. And what that means is it can be really nimble. So there are some idiosyncratic things going on out there, uh, which a small fund can take advantage of, which maybe some of the, the larger funds can't. So that was the first area that we added back to. Um, the other area, again, might might sort of... So I'll step back and say we are still cautious at the moment. We are still worried. We're not sure that all the, all the numbers showing maybe the, the, the extent of what damage this is going to do to the economy. So we are still cautious. But we did selectively add back to another fund, which was the Royal London Short, snappily titled, Royal London Short Duration High Yield Fund. Um, essentially, you know, we might worry a little bit about high yield through the defaults. Um, but with this fund, it's a very short duration fund. So that IE is investing in very short-term bonds a lot less likely to go bust at that point with a very experienced manager who was managing this product 
through the through the financial crisis and actually was producing positive returns through that period. Um, that fund got to a position whereby, because of price falls, it was yielding over ten percent. With bonds, the duration of the bonds, i.e., the time they're likely to be paid back, less than a year. So at that point, we thought again a very attractive opportunity to add. So those were the two bond funds that we've actually added to recently. Um, lastly, then on alternatives, I believe you mentioned you've got sort of twelve percent in alternative investments now. Are you looking at yes. types of assets for, for income diversification within that bucket because it's so broad? And you know, if the future for income from traditional asset classes becomes harder, I mean, do you see that? allocation increasing even further? So, yeah, so, so we're, we're definitely looking for different sources of income. Um, and one of the elements that we think gives us a bit of an edge here is, is the flexibility. So we have the flexibility to use open-ended funds and ETFs and investment trusts. And that gives us a, a wider set of things to look at. Um, so again, within within the close group, we actually run a, a, a range of managed funds. So we've got a conservative, balanced and growth fund where they don't have the income element. And actually, across all of those funds, we've been increasing our allocation to alternatives. And that's really been driven by the volatility that we've seen to be increasing. And also, a, a worry really that, uh, that some of the traditional sources of diversification in terms of government bonds maybe they're at a level now where it's going to be difficult for them to provide that diversification benefit. So that's really the reason we've been increasing our, our alternatives over the last 18 months or so. Now, it's slightly trickier within income funds uh, because we are looking for all of our funds to pay an income. Um, and we are always looking for new ideas. Uh, at the same time, we're conscious of liquidity. So some of these things that come our way we wouldn't invest in because we don't think they're liquid enough. Uh, and the other thing we want to make sure is that, that the alternatives are doing something alternative, i.e. they've got to behave differently to an equity or a bond. So what we found is with some of the absolute return funds, for example, um, that they're, they're generally multi-asset, but because they're looking to generate an income, uh, they also tend to have a higher correlation to equities and bonds. And that's not really what we want to own. We want to own things that... Uh, that basically gives us an alternative income, but don't behave like the equities and the bonds. Uh, you also mentioned their investment trust. Uh, which areas are you most likely to invest in, in in that sort of area of the market? Where where would you go for for sort of diversification there? Yeah, so 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 for us, investment trusts, we use them where we can't get that same exposure via an open ended fund. Um, so potentially we'll use them for a, you know an equity fund or a bond fund where you can't get that open-ended but actually we mainly use it for alternative income uh, as I just mentioned really that's to, that's really the areas so the areas that we look at there are infrastructure renewables uh, and property and again before we get too far down the line on property we don't own any of the open-ended property funds so as we do worry about the, the mismatch between the illiquidity of the asset class versus the needs of the clients. So, so we've done that via the closed-end vehicles, the investment trusts. And, and what we've done is we've tended to go for the more specialist property companies there. So we have one of our holdings specializes in long-lease properties uh, with inflation linking. So they would be leasing to the likes of Acosta. Um, again, on a 25-year view, inflation-linked uplifts to payments, uh, very stable tenants. Um, the other holding we've got would be more on the uh, kind of industrial properties. So, for example, uh, they own essentially a car park in the Midlands, 
for where a lot of the new cars get shipped and, and stored in. Um, so again, not really. So some of you may be worried about uh, what's happening in the retail space. We're trying to steer clear of retail. Uh, we don't have a great deal in, in office space. Uh, say we've, we've gone for the two sort of specialist areas that we think are probably fine through this sort of crisis. Um, so with uh, with infrastructure renewables, it's, it's again, it's probably worth stepping back and saying, what are we really investing in here? So within the infrastructure funds, it will be things like uh, hospitals, roads, uh, schools, and obviously within renewables, it will be things like uh, wind farms and solar farms. Now, the benefit of these things is they've all got very long-term contracts. They're mainly inflation-linked. So again, as your payments, as, as you go through time, your payments increase, which is great. Uh, they're mainly government-backed, or at least they've got some subsidy, uh, and they're yielding about 5% on average across our portfolio. So those are the things that, that, that we hold within that space. Um, now, one of the downsides is these, these things are closed in, and they can, they can trade at a premium to their net asset value or a discount to their net asset value. One of the things that we've managed to do recently is uh, we've managed to trade that relatively well to buy some holdings. So, for example, one of our holdings that we own is called Hickle. Um, it was trading at a 15% premium to its net assets in February. Uh, we managed to top it up at net asset value, so i.e. 15% lower than it was in February at the start of April. So, again, we can use that premium discount to, to make some sensible trades to add to our positions where we think we're getting, again, diversified source of income. Um. I wanted to touch on value because the fund has a slight value bias purely because it's looking for underlying funds with higher dividend yields. Um, are you concerned about the, the long-term prospects for value investing in this environment? Yeah, yeah, okay. so, so maybe I'll rephrase it slightly. Um, we are worried about the short term, but we're not really worried about the long-term prospects for value. So again, in, you know, in, in the short term, and by that I'm talking about you know, maybe the last 10 years, um, the markets have been distorted by QE. Uh, they've been distorted by very low, even negative interest rates. And in that environment, it actually makes some very low-yielding growth assets look very attractive. And those are the things that have been essentially working better than the value assets. But in the long term, I wouldn't want to bet against value. You know, it's worked for centuries. Uh, ultimately, share prices have to reflect the value of a company. So again, yeah, short-term worry. We do think about it. We do look at our portfolio. We try to make changes to, to adapt there, but actually longer term, we're not. Um, bullish longer term? Am I bullish on value? Longer term. Longer term, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, you know, it, it is at such extremes that, you know, so I think if I, if I had, again, my 20-year view, um, I think that, you know, that's what you'd be doing. Now, the problem is we don't really know what's happening shorter term so what we might see is we might see an extended period of lower interest rates and more QE, in which case value is probably not going to work. So again, we can, we can twist the portfolio slightly. We can add, allocate more money to the growthier names that we have. And you've got to remember that we're not looking for value or growth. What we're actually looking for is income, and we're not even looking for the highest income. So again, we don't want to reach for yield because if you reach for yield, it tends to bring more risk with it. So for example, in Asia, we can generally get decent growth and decent income. Uh, and even within something like the UK, which again, traditionally is quite an income heavy market, we can mix and match styles. So we can own something like a Franklin Templeton. Uh, again, those guys are looking for safe rising dividends, not looking for the highest yielders. So we think we can actually allocate, we can tweak our allocation slightly to, to, 
to live with the short-term headache that we're getting from, from value being slightly out of favour. And just lastly, turnover on the portfolio is typically around 20%. Has this increased this year? And do you expect more turnover off the back of this pandemic? Uh, so, so definitely has, has, has definitely increased in the short term. Um, so this really is about adding and trimming funds that we own. Uh, it's not really wholesale changes. Um, having said all of that, we did actually completely sell one of our holdings. So BMY Global Income Fund, we sold that in March. Essentially, that was a business as usual type exercise. So the fund manager and three of his colleagues resigned, going to join another fund management group. That for us is a big red flag. We don't we don't think that the, the team that's left there is, is going to do the same job, so we'll sell that fund. So that did coincide with the crisis, but is not really a crisis-related event. Um, so what did we do in the crisis? We, I guess, essentially, as we started to see more negative news coming out of, out of China in particular, um, we actually started to trim in February, started to trim our Asia and emerging market equity holdings. Uh, and then got a little bit more worried about the UK market and, and trimmed that somewhat. Actually added to one of our holdings, the only holding that doesn't pay an income, which is our gold holding, which you're using as some, again, some sort of hedge, added to our gold holding uh, at the end of February. Um, then started to reduce our credit exposure. So again, as we said, the, the credit markets did become a bit dislocated. Uh, and essentially, we trimmed our strategic bond funds and high-yield funds those are the ones we're a little bit more worried about uh, about bonds being repaid. Um, sold the BMY fund, as I said, and got to a stage where we probably had about 8% in cash, uh, which helped to cushion some of that downside. But obviously, we don't want to sit on a lot of cash, particularly in this fund where we're, we're targeting an income. So we do, we do want to try to get that back to work. So in April, as I said before, we, we actually topped up the investment grade fund, I mentioned the Artemis fund, and also the, the Royal London fund. And we also added selectively to some of the alternatives where, again, we could use that dislocation in prices to maybe get into funds either at a discount to net asset value or at least not the premiums they were at previously. Um, so, yeah, we have been trading. It's, it's really been about movements around and between the funds, not, as I say, wholesale changes, but we have, and we do actively manage it. We do obviously worry all the time about, uh, about what's going on in terms of, of the macro outlook. That's great, Matthew. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about the Close Managed Income Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.